Welcome, everyone, to episode 31 of the Fire Nuggets podcast. Today is June 2nd, 2022, and we're psyched to have Molly Benetti, the sports performance coach of the national champion University of South Carolina Gamecocks women's basketball team as our guest today. Uh, the goals here, as always, are pretty simple, bring in great guests and try to mine as much gold as possible. So, Molly, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for coming on here and, and sharing some of your expertise with us. Hey, thanks, Nick. I appreciate you having me on. This will be fun. Yeah, we're really excited about this one. Uh, anytime that we can kind of get out of our bubble, uh, I always get really excited about this because I think too often uh, we're kind of siloed. And, and I think when we look up and look out, we can learn a lot from our other people and, and other domains. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so as a brief intro on you, uh, you got your undergrad in exercise physiology from Marquette in 2012? Yeah, yeah. So Wisconsin kid through and through, grew up in Eau Claire and then Actually, my whole life wanted to be a Wisconsin Badger, and that ended up not working out, and I kind of took the leap of going to Marquette without really ever visiting or uh, not really knowing what to expect, and absolutely fell in love with Milwaukee. Uh, I actually went into college thinking I was going to be a business major, so I got accepted into the business school. I thought maybe something in finance or accounting. I was good at math. I really enjoyed accounting all throughout high school. And I was like, I can make a decent living and some good money doing this. And quickly remembered that I would hate sitting behind a desk for my entire life. So <laughs> I, I switched, uh, I switched into the college of health and sciences and, uh, majored in exercise science with having no real idea what I wanted to do with that. I thought maybe athletic training, maybe physical therapy. I played a lot of sports and uh, was injured a lot. So I spent a lot of time rehabbing in, in that setting. So I thought maybe something along those lines and uh, ended up meeting the head strength coach at Marquette my freshman year and uh, just through one of my classes. And he really sparked my interest in the field. And that's kind of how I got at least exposed to this even being a profession. Okay. We have a couple parallels there. So my undergrad was in exercise science as well uh, from Iowa State. And then I live in Eau Claire, uh, which is where I work. And for, for those that don't know where Eau Claire is, we're like 70 miles east of kind of Minneapolis, St. Paul in Wisconsin. Um, but I actually was introduced to Molly. I saw her name in our local newspaper one day and looked her up on Facebook uh, after they won the national championship. Um, and she had a quote in, a, in the, the Leader Telegram or volume one, I forget now. Um, but it just kind of took a shot in the dark and Molly's like, yeah, let's do this. So uh, thank you again for, for coming on here. And uh and uh, a couple little connections that we have right there. Okay, so after after Marquette, you went to uh, U of M, uh, Minnesota, and got your master's in kinesiology and exercise science? Yeah, so kind of like I said, Todd really opened my eyes to strength and conditioning, and so what that turned into, he basically opened his doors to me and invited me if I ever wanted to come observe or check things out, I was more than welcome. And I really had no idea what this world of performance was. I knew I liked to work out, I knew I liked sport, but knew I loved watching athletes. Um, so I ended up just showing up and I kept showing up day after day and just learned along the way. And it turned into an internship all throughout my four years there. And actually my last semester, I had to do a full-time internship. An entire semester could be anywhere in, in the country, in the world. And so I just took, you know, I shot my shot and applied to all the best internships in the country and ended up getting out, getting to go out to Phoenix, Arizona to what's it's now exos at the time it was athletes performance. Uh, you know, a lot of people might know that as yeah. the place where a lot of the top combine at, uh, football players go to prepare for, for the combine. Um, but I got exposed to, you know, youth athletes, high school, college, you know, NFL players, MLB Olympians, people from all over the globe. And I got to spend six months out there and that just reaffirmed my desire to be in this field. And, uh, after I spent that time out there, I, I moved back, I graduated from Marquette and then the next day, or actually the night of graduation, drove to Minnesota to start my master's program the next day. So I spent a year there interning. Uh, I worked primarily with basketball, volleyball and softball players, but got exposed to a little bit of everything. And then after a year, you know, I had made up my mind at that time. I wanted to be a full-time division one strength coach. Like that was my end goal. That was all I really knew. And then I was fortunate enough to meet some people in my grad program that had connections and there was an opening at Purdue university. And I was able to at least get my foot in the door to interview and, and get connected with their director. And so I spent a year there, finished my master's and uh, at 23 years old, I was a full-time division one strength coach at uh, power five, you know, big 10 
university, which was really crazy. So went from Marquette to Minnesota to part Purdue. Uh, you also, um, you have numerous strength and conditioning coach certif certifications as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's really two major organizations that kind of govern this world of performance. One is the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and then the other is the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Association. So I started out by getting my NSCA Certified Strength and Conditioning Coach Specialist uh, certification. And then a little bit later on in my career, got the second one from the CSCCA. And those are kind of the two gold standards in terms of if you want to be in, in this world of, you know, outside of being a personal trainer, there's a lot of those certifications. But, you know, as a team, sports performance coach, those are really the two that you have to have one of the two. And, you know, I'm, I've always been a person. I'd, I got both. Let's get them Just, both. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, you also, uh, and we're going to get back on track with your career. I just want to take a quick little sidestep here. Um, but you've had a couple peer reviewed articles published. Can you talk about those? Yeah, that was really early on in my career. That was my first year actually, when I was at Purdue, I was really fortunate to, we had a couple people from Australia, a couple PhD, uh, students, I would say students, you know, they're a little bit older, older than me at the time come in and they were there for an extended period to do, to do research for their own thesis and dissertation, as well as help our department kind of grow in some areas of sports science. So I got to work with some really brilliant minds, um, Dr. Tanya Spiteri, Dr. Sophia Nymphius, you know, two of the leading researcher, researchers in uh, change of direction and agility, especially in the basketball world. And so we got to do some research with them and um, you know, I got to be included in on those publications that came out. Um, and that was really an awesome experience to, again, kind of be 23 in this role of, you know, division one athletics, and then also get the opportunity to be a, you know, published researcher at a really young age. Yeah. So you have kind of the functional side of this and then the conceptual side of this as well. And obviously they're going to bleed over. Uh, between the two, but having those, the, both those background has to be beneficial at this point in time. Um, how often do you look at research in, in performance and take some of that information and pass that along to your athletes now? Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of it all the time. It's, you know, for me, it's a, it's a constant quest of staying on top of the game and making sure that I have that foundational background of the science. Science of, of what we do, but in reality, you know, the practice of it is uh, really important. So I need to make sure that I'm doing the the best I can to ensure I'm doing and training our athletes the the proper way, and then being able to along the way educate our athletes on on what we're doing and why we're doing it. I think ultimately my my role is a teacher, and I want our I want my players and everybody I get to coach to really take ownerships of themselves. And so having that background and really understanding the thoroughness of why we're doing what we're doing, the benefit of it uh, is huge. And to be able to pass that along and have them understand uh, the importance of it in relation to what they care about, you know, they're 18 to 22 year olds. They don't care about the, the same things that I do in the same, uh, you know, capacity or the depth of it, but they do want to know how this is helping them and how it's going to help them get closer to achieving what it is that they want. I like that. I like how you can go back and look at the data and have data to, to excuse me, drive some of your decision-making and realizing that you don't need to pass that information along to everybody. As long as you have that as, as the coach um, and you're understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, it's easy to pass that along to, to the women that you work with. Um, right. Circling, circling back to, to your career now. Um, so after Purdue, you went to Louisville and you were a coach for volleyball uh, softball, women's tennis, and women's basketball? Yeah, so I, I spent only a year at Purdue, and I loved my time there. And I got exposed to a lot of different sports, a lot of different teams. Uh, I was, there was a part of me that was really craving more mentorship and a chance to kind of narrow down the teams that I was working with. And so I really sought out the opportunity to work for a trailblazer in our field, uh, you know, a woman who had really helped pave the way, uh, not only for herself, but just women trying to enter this really male dominated field in the first place. And so uh, I went to Louisville because I wanted to work for Tina Murray and she, uh, you know, it was a unique opportunity. I would get to assist her with basketball, which was always the sport that I loved the most. 
I'd also get to be the head strength coach for softball and women's tennis, as well as assist with volleyball. And that role kind of evolved over my four years of being, of taking over volleyball as well, too. And so I got to work, um, you know, hands-on every day with those four sports. I got to learn from, you know, a really badass woman in this field and also got to work on, you know, we're a staff of seven full-time coaches and four of us were women, which was a really empowering experience because you really don't find that anywhere else. Um, you're lucky if you have one woman on staff. And so to be in that room of women that are really trying to raise the bar and, you know, make our way in this field was awesome. Um, and I learned probably more in those four years than I had up, you know, my entire life up to that point, it was a lot of growing pains. It was a lot of really figuring out who I was, um, and as a person and as a coach as well too. Um, but, everything I learned during those four years has really set me up for where I am now. Okay. And then talk about where you're at right now. And, and, uh, if you tell us a little bit about the, what happened at the basketball season last year as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew at some point in my career, you know, in the college world, I wanted to explore the basketball only route, you know, in college, it's, you usually have, you have football, you have a strength coach that is, you know, just working primarily one sport with either men's or women's basketball. And then you have strength coaches that work with a, what we call Olympic sports. So you might work with your tennis, your volleyball, you know, softball, soccer, those different types of sports. And um, in kind of that college setting or, or you're a director of an entire strength staff or performance staff. And so I knew I kind of wanted to explore that one sport only route. Um, basketball has always been again, my sport. And so that was always a route I wanted to really see if I was going to like and see where that would take me in my career. And so I was really fortunate. This opportunity at University of South Carolina actually came up after my third year at Louisville. And I had the opportunity to interview for this job if I wanted to, but I was actually in a really good spot professionally. I'd just gotten a raise. I was really happy with my role. I felt like I was just settled into this place and really kind of getting a getting the wheels turning and really finding my momentum there. And so I turned it down, but fast forward a year, I get the same call again and said, listen, you need to answer the phone because, uh, you know, coach Staley is going to call you and, you know, be ready. So it was coming back around a second time. I knew that I had to open my ears, answer the phone and really explore this opportunity. And, you know, I'm fortunate to, obviously I've gotten the job and just finished my fourth season here about to enter year five and uh, really still trying to wrap my head around the fact that we just won a national championship. Um, you know, in my four years here, you know, after my second year, we were really the number one team in the country. We lost one game all year. COVID took our tournament away. We came back the following year, last year, uh, lost a heartbreaker buzzer beater, to Stanford in the final four to get to the national championship game. And then, you know, we were able to learn from that, had our entire team back, added some new pieces and we came back and we ran the table all year long and, and finished the job. So it's been, uh, you know, a lot of people say they're, they're living the dream. And I really uh, usually hate that phrase, but it's ringing more true than ever for me personally right now. I love it. And congratulations to, uh, for all your success and, and to all the, the women that you uh, you coach and everybody else on the uh, on the staff as well. So before we get too far, can you kind of describe like day to day? What do you do as a sports performance coach uh, for the Gamecocks? Yeah, so in the literal sense of the word, you know, my job is to make sure that our players have the physical capacities that they need to excel at their sport and remain healthy enough to perform at the level that they need to. Uh, but the day-to-day -day and, and the actual realm of my job is, you know, well beyond that. And I get to help. I spend more time with our players than anybody else on our staff throughout the entire course of the year. You know, I'm in a unique role where there are times that their, their time on court and with basketball is really limited. And the time with me is, um, is pretty significant. And it, that's throughout the entire course of, of a season. And so, I'm in the, and I have the opportunity to strong relationships with our players and meet them on an individual level to help guide them, um, to help really help them achieve what it is that they want to achieve. They come to South Carolina because they want to win a national championship, but each of them are unique individuals that have their own 
uh, desires and goals for themselves and things that they want to accomplish. And so my job is to meet them there and help develop them as humans first, as people, as well-rounded people, not just the physical sense, but really help them navigate the, the mental and emotional aspects of not just basketball, but life in general. And so my day-to-day is, you know, we, you know, my job in the weight room is to train them, but I'm, you know, with them eating meals. I'm at practice with them every day. I'm with them on the road during the season. I'm at every home game on the bench. I'm with them, you know, helping with rehab. I'm helping them on the nutrition front. You know, we have people in, in all these different roles, but my, my job as a performance coach is really to touch every aspect of performance, not just the physical sense, but the mind, body, spirit, um, and anything that can help them grow uh, as basketball players and as people. So you talked about this, this holistic perspective that you have. So mind, body, and spirit. I think from like a sports performance uh, perspective, the, the body portion is very self-evident to our listeners. How do you focus on the mind and the spirit with your, with your uh, athletes? Yeah, you know, I think as a coach, there's a difference between a coach and a trainer, right? The tra- trainers are concerned about training you in the physical sense and making sure that all those boxes are checked. And a coach is really about meeting somebody where they're at and taking them to where they want to go. And that is, I think, a really hard job. It's, it would be really easy for me to just show up every day and train our athletes and get them bigger, faster, stronger, more explosive. That part is actually really easy. Um, but what I take most pride in and what interests me the most is the human side of things. And that's why I love coaching so much is that I love to help people. And so, you know, a typical performance coach, we do a great job of, we get these athletes in, we assess them and we figure out what they need physically. And then we help develop a plan from there. I do the same thing or try to do the same thing on the mental and emotional side as well, too. So I'm really getting to know these athletes on an individual level their personalities, their backgrounds. And that starts with just asking really good questions and getting as much information and getting them to talk and speak on things as as much as possible and really including them in the process of their development. Because rather than just be somebody that's just telling them what to do every single day, I want them to take ownership of themselves in their development. I want them to be problem solvers, to understand not just their bodies, but themselves better. And so it starts with the question asking process and every day I get to help them navigate everything that's going on in their lives, whether it's what's happening in school, what's happening in their personal lives with their families, you know, what's going on with coaches and things that they're struggling with. And every opportunity is a chance to help guide them in a certain direction and help them navigate the the mental and emotional challenges that come with just being an 18 to 22 year old. And that's obviously a phase of your life where you're really figuring, figuring your shit out and uh, figuring out who you are. And these guys have a lot of expectations on them. They've got a lot of stuff going on as people outside of that being really good basketball players. So I have a really unique role in helping them navigate those things, helping them become um, more mature, grown adults, how to navigate the emotions, how to navigate all those things. So you know, that what that looks like for each person is is very different because everybody has a little bit different path and experiencing different things. But that's the part that I love the most. I like what you said there. Uh, and I think there's a lot of of bleed over to, to so many other portions of life, whether it's being a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a friend, uh, you know, a, a lieutenant or a captain um, on, on in the fire service or, or any other uh, domain where you're actually working with people, which is pretty much every domain. Um, but I want to kind of unpack this just a little bit. So is it fair to say that since, so like this psychological side is going to be so nebulous, um, where what player a might, might help them, it might harm player B. And and if I'm kind of reading you right or and listening to you or hearing you correctly, you kind of take like this Socratic approach to this and let them guide you. You just ask questions and figure out, all right, this is working. This is not working. This is helpful. This is harmful. Um, and let them kind of steer the ship. Is that kind of how this goes? You just need to be a really good listener. Yeah, that I, that's really step one. And, and that really, I think, guides our relationship and, and what we do. Um, you know, it's 
I hear a lot of people talk about this generation and, you know, oh, they don't know anything about anything. They don't understand. Um, they don't understand anything or they're soft or they're lazy or they're unmotivated or, you know, the entitled. list goes on entitled all of right? it. And I've, you know, this is going into my 10th year as a full-time coach. And I really cannot say that I've ever worked with an athlete that is unmotivated or that is truly lazy. It's a matter of you as a coach, not being able to connect with them as a person and what they really care about and what, um, you know, what they need to help, you know, unlock that from them. Everybody's got it, but you know, they, they don't think the same way we do as adults. They don't care about the same things that we do. And so we, we don't do a good enough job of really digging deep enough to figure out how to get the most out of people. I think as coaches, we, we struggle with as strength coaches. And um, so, yeah, it does. It is. It's, they know way more about themselves than we ever will know about them. Like nobody understand, like nobody experiences themselves like they experience themselves. So it's, how can we help guide them, get their input, make them feel like they're part of the process? Because when they feel like they have a voice and they feel like they're included and they're making choices for themselves, you're going to get more out of them. The work means more to them. Um, everybody is different. One exercise is not fit all. One exercise is not going to make or break, you know, one, one training program, all of this. So it's how can we find ways to, um, adapt to each person and make decisions that are going to help them. And that looks different for each person. Now, yeah, some of it looks the same for everybody, but how I navigate my relationships with each person is different. And it's really about bringing them out as a person first, because when you do that, the training and all that takes care of itself, but it's not, not the other way around. Yeah. Thank you for talking. I hear this all the time that, this generation or that generation. I hear these arguments all the time. And I think it all falls back to poor communication on the typically the person who is blaming another generation for whatever issues that they seem to, to have. Um, and I don't subscribe to the fact that these millennials are entitled and lazy. I just don't see that. I think more often than not, we need to put a mirror in front of us and be like, all right, what am I doing wrong? How can I communicate better? How do I connect with this person uh, on a more human level to get more out of them? Um, I also like what you're saying. A lot of this is ringing really true for me that, that this inclusion or involvement leads to empowerment, which leads to investment. Um, and I think we need to uh, preach that message a little bit more. So I appreciate what you're saying right now. A lot of this is, is definitely, uh, ringing true for, for my experiences thus far. Yeah. And I think what I want most for them, you know, at the end of the day is going back to what I said before about them being able to own, especially about being able to own their lives and the decisions that they make and their careers and whatever it might be. And we can't, they can't do that if we are just kind of putting them in a box, telling them what to do and not really giving them space to explore themselves um explace you know a, you know space to fuck up excuse my language but like a, a, a space to really like figure it out like sometimes they just got to figure it out and so that's my whole philosophy of just giving them the opportunity to have some autonomy make choices um it's messy you know not everything is uh, really you know a well-oiled machine where everything's perfect and they're all of it is really like, no, where I'm going to include you on this process. I'm going to allow you to make some choices. We're going to figure this thing out together. But in the process, they learn way more and in, in the long game than, you know, having a perfectly run session or a per, you know, whatever it might be. And it's just, if we really say we want to help them learn and grow and develop, like we've got to give them space to do that instead of being able to control even though we are the experts, we have more knowledge in some areas. My goal is to help them figure that out for themselves. So it's just, uh, yeah, we do it. We do have to point or look at ourselves in the mirror uh, and point the finger back at us on how we can be more effective. And also, you know, understand that um, a lot of times young people just don't know, they don't know any better and they don't know how to navigate a lot of things, you know, they don't know how to navigate a lot of, of 
the emotions and the mental aspect and the struggles and all of that. And so it's our job to help them figure that out and be better. So when an athlete has a difficult uh, game, uh, something does not go well, maybe they they're at the free throw line and, and there's no time left on the clock and they're down by one and they go over two, or they have a really bad game. They shoot 20% from the field or seven turnovers or, or whatever. What is your role that next time that you see them or the next time that you get to work with them? Does that yeah. look any different on that yeah. day than when they had a, a great game and they, they, they crushed the crushed it from a stat sheet perspective? You know, it really doesn't change because at the heart of it, you know, what I think our program does really well from the top down is like, we, you know, our, it's yes, there, we have expectations and we have, we want to perform at a high level, but it's really just like, you got to love them. You got to love them through it all and not love them. You got to love them, not based on their performance and what they do for you on the basketball court. You got to love them through all of it. And I think, um, you know, for me, it's, that's my job in that moment is to love them, to, make sure they, they feel that. And I don't treat them any different, you know, than if they won us the game in that moment. Um, you know, we have a rule in our program. It's the 24 hour rule, um, you know, win or win or lose, whatever it might be, whatever happened, you can feel it, process it, do whatever you need to do. And then, you know, we move on and, you know, our mission is still out in front of us. So it's, what do we need to do that next day to keep us on this, on the right path? And, um, so we really don't get, we don't get too highs with the highs or low with the lows. Now I'll say that 24 hour rule went out the window when we won a national ask. championship, right? <laughs> <And> I'm, still, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm riding that high all the way till forever, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, in general it is, it's, you know, we had two really heartbreaking losses this year on last second shots. Um, you know, you got people, it's, always, you know, people that aren't happy with their performances or, you know, they've got high expectations for themselves, but our job is to help again, help them figure out who they are outside of basketball and get them really steady in who they are and their identity and that, and just love them through that process and, you know, win, lose or indifferent, whatever it is, it's, you gotta like think that's your role as a coach in that moment. It's okay. It's, it is what it is. We love you. You're good. Let's move on. Yeah, I uh, and just for our, for our listeners, the the two heartbreaking losses were the only two losses you guys had this year. So almost ran the table, which is really hard to do uh, in D one basketball. Um, yeah. Quick little side question: What do you do when you cut down a piece of the net? What do you do with that piece? Well, most of mine end up on tied to my hat, so I know at least. Uh, our national championship net is tied to my national championship hat. Okay. The same is true. The most of the, I do have a couple pieces. They're in my room right now, but in my office is kind of my, my shrine. I've got all my hats that hang on my wall and the pieces of net are attached to. All right. Okay. I've always been curious to that. Like I get yeah. rings, I get other things like piece of the net. I was like, what do they do with that? Otherwise, nice. I, I would I would lose it if it wasn't tied to something. <laughs> All right, you find it three years later, you're cleaning out stuff. Like, what is it? I don't know. Looks like garbage. Yeah, exactly. Um, your philosophy has been described as athlete centered, and you've talked a lot about the importance of kind of connecting with your your athletes and and your teammates. How do you, besides asking them questions and getting to know them on a personal level and kind of leading with love, as you were saying, like how else do you get to, to connect with them or how else do you attempt to connect with them? Yeah. Um, you know, you have to, you have to connect with them because ultimately the role of a coach too is you got to change behavior. You know, you're trying to get them out of their own way. You're trying to uncover their blind spots and you're trying to get them, especially at such a young age, you're trying to get them to do things that they've never done before that they're uncomfortable with that they've never been exposed to. And so if you don't have that level of intimacy with them, that level of connection, um, it's really hard. It's, you know, you can get someone to be compliant in the moment, but when you're looking at like really changing behavior and influencing somebody, you've got to have that connection piece because that's where that trust and that, that buy-in comes from. But I, to me, I'm just a big believer in like, it just comes in the form of your daily interactions with that person and your presence. Um, you know, are you 
is your relationship again, based around performance and the thing, what needs to be done and all of those expectations or your daily interactions from a place of uh, caring about them as a person. And I think that, um, you know, I try to go out of my way to spend time with them outside of just in the weight room. You know, I try to eat meals with them or, you know, outside of work too, you know, where we've got texts going and we're talking about different things and, you know, I'm finding what they care about and then finding ways to connect with them about that, whether that's music or movies or things outside that they're interested in, um, their family, um, and just really like being intentional about those interactions and not just when I see them in the weight room or when I see them at practice, but it's like those daily deposits of interactions and, you know, those interactions can either put money in the bank of your relationship and really add value to it, or you're taking money out and it's, you know, a negative interaction or it's kind of breaking that trust. So it takes a really long time. I mean, as you know, it takes a really long time to build somebody's trust or to get somebody's trust or for somebody to trust you, but it takes a blink of an eye for that trust to be destroyed, especially with, you know, kids with these, you know, it's really easy to just lose that in them. And so I'm just trying to find ways to be intentional about how I'm communicating with them every single day about things outside of, you know, what everybody else wants to talk to them about, which is usually basketball or, you know, something like that. So just daily small interactions, spend time with them outside of, you know, that work environment, uh, take opportunities, you know, to be around the team as much as possible. And those little things over time really go a long way in all of that. Has it ever happened where you are, you know, you're intentionally and purposefully putting a bunch of time and effort into this relationship, but it's not reciprocated where an athlete is like, nah, I'm, I'm not feeling you, Molly, like, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. And, and if that's ever happened, like, how do you, how do you try to build that bridge there? Yeah, it, it has happened. Um, and I wouldn't say that happens often, but I think it, it comes in moments, you know, understanding too, like people's moods are going to change. Some, some days, like they're just going through it or, you know, sometimes just when you're, especially when you're starting to try to build that relationship, some take a lot more time and effort and patience than others. And I think the most important thing I've found after failing in this area, you know, being able to not connect and form, form good relationships with players, like it's just to back off sometimes. And, and again, it's, meeting them where they're at. So if you're getting those signals from them, like if I keep forcing the issue and trying to do too much, that's only going to, I think, further that distance between us. So it's not like a, a you know, effort is going to be stopped, but it's really like, okay, like I hear you, I feel you. I'm going to do what I need to do to get what I need to get out of you right now. And I'm going to keep trying. Um, and I found that usually over time, it's just like a matter of, uh, you know, sometimes that patience just pays off and that, that ability to kind of just let them be, um, and understanding too, like not every athlete that you have is going to be somebody you get really close with and have a really great relationship with. So it's also kind of knowing, I don't want to say when to cut your losses, but like how much energy you want to invest in, um, you know, or how deep you're able to go with a certain player. Sometimes it's not very deep uh, at first. And sometimes it might not ever be as deep as it is with the majority of others. And that's okay. You know, you're, I'm still doing my job to help prepare them for what they need to do. Um, and just, you know, some relationships take a different course. So doing my research for this episode, I found some, some awesome videos of you working with, with uh, the women's basketball team at South Carolina. Uh, and they absolutely got me amped up. So your passion for basketball and your players is obvious watching you work. Where does this passion come from? Has it always been there? Is it something that you've kind of like, it, it's developed over time? I do think it's developed over time. You know, I think, you know, I'm in a position right now where it's like, I get to combine so many things that I love all in one role. Obviously I love sport. You know, there's nothing like, working in the collegiate athletic environment, um, which is super exciting. There's, you know, it's, it's awesome. But at the end of the day, I think it really just comes from how much I love 
helping people get better. And like, I've just grown so close with our program over the past four years. And I've had most of this team for three going on four years, you know, I've had some for four plus years. And so I've built really strong relationships with them and they, you know, there is such an emotional attachment, not attachment, but such an emotional bond there that like, that gets me fired up. And like, I just enjoy going to work every day. Our players bring me so much joy. Um, And I'd love just that environment of being able to, I just don't take for granted the opportunity I have to make an impact on these players because every day you're making an impression good or bad. And every day, again, you're either adding to adding value to their lives or you're um, again, kind of eroding that trust or, or getting further away. And so I really just try to take advantage of every opportunity every day to give them my best. And I think it's, it's developed over time, but it's only grown stronger, you know, as I've been in this longer and really have, um, kind of carved my own path and figured out who I am. And like, I'm really passionate about that. And then also I get the opportunity to have these really awesome relationships with, with these people that really gets me excited. That's a nice perspective to have like these daily deposits that are either net positive or net negative. I think that that parallels the fire service. Um, and, and, you know, I, some of this might be new to you, but I think a lot of our listeners, they, this could resonate with, in the fact that about a third or a quarter of, of all firefighters are company officers in some level. So now they have a handful of, of firefighters that they're kind of leading around and on the fire ground is where kind of I focus a lot of my time and energy on the operational side of stuff. But the day-to-day stuff, really the return on investment is, is unprecedented. If you can put in quality time with your crew the return on investment is is substantial and it goes back to something another guy said one time and he talked about how two plus two doesn't always equal four sometimes two plus two can equal ten and the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts and it sounds like maybe in kind of a more nebulous way that's kind of what we're talking about how to get the most out of everybody and it's not just one plus one plus one plus one equals five players on the court you got one plus one plus one plus one. And now you got seven players on the court because as a yep. team, you are better than any, any, any uh, group of individuals could be. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would imagine, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not in your world, but I feel like it's gotta be the equivalent of, right. You, you have your station and you have the people that you, you spend and trust your life with, you know, on a, on a regular basis. And I mean, you know, everybody, you know, you've got a different relationship with each person, but there's at the end of the day, like you, your lives depend on it. Your lives depend on your relationships, that trust and that feeling of like that, that brotherhood or sisterhood with the people that you're working with. Like there's really nothing that that compares to that. So I I would imagine it's, you know, our worlds are parallel in that sense of that feeling of, of, you know, that those relationships and just that, that overall uh, experience. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we spend about a third of our lives with our crews. Um, And it's, you know, where I'm at, it's just the three of us or just the five of us, depending on what station uh, we're at for at least a year, sometimes multiple years uh, in a row. And for some crews, maybe even decades. Um, Now, other cities and and other departments could have groups of four or six or eight at their departments or even or at their stations or even more. Um, but I think for the vast majority of people in the fire service, you know, it looks kind of like my department, you know, kind of a suburban atmosphere. Um, so it's, it's these relationships that we have are incredibly important. And if you can get a crew, and I say this because I've experienced this in my career, you can have a crew that everyone is kind of seeing the same stuff and thinking the same stuff. And they don't need to be like, everybody thinks the same um, but on the fire ground and on, on scenes, emergency scenes, we want people to think pretty similarly, right? Um, yep. We want to be thinking as one, uh, like a team. Um, and then in the stations, we can be completely different people. Like my best friend is the most opposite person for me that you could imagine. Listens to the most opposite music that I do, watches the, like, the exact opposite. We're, we're a funky dichotomy, but for whatever reason, we get along super well. And when we're at work, 
we have a hell of a time um, and, and we're training and we're working our butts off and we're trying to make ourselves a little bit better every single day. Um, so I, I think that sometimes it gets neglected to focus on, on this kind of station life. And it seems like maybe that wasn't initially what you thought you were going to do when you were doing this job, but it seems like that's a big part of your job is just dealing with, with the human side of this, um, not so much in the weight room um, and sets and reps and designing workouts. It's, it's this emotional connection, this personal connection that you're having with people. Yeah, you hit it on the head there. I think when you start out in this field, nobody teaches you about that stuff. Everything that you learn is about the sets and the reps and the science and the physiology and all of those things, which is obviously the foundation of what we need to know to train athletes at a high level. But at the end of the day, it's a people business and we get no formal training on, on this type of stuff. There's you take one psychology class in, in college. Um, but besides that, you, you learn how to coach and in our world, that means we learn how to coach movements. We learn how to coach a squat, how to coach speed, how to coach X, Y, or Z, but we don't learn the necessary elements of, you know, what it takes to actually build relationships with people, how to change behavior, understanding psychology and human behavior, uh, all of that. And so I always just found as I went throughout my career, the biggest obstacles I was facing and the biggest frustrations I had weren't from not being able to write the proper workout programs. It was about, I'm not getting through to this athlete or this athlete is not uh, changing their behavior, or I'm not impacting them at the level I want to, or our relationship is strained or whatever it is. Like those were the things that I was beating my head over the wall or against the wall over. And so it was really a path that I had to take for myself outside of just kind of learning the typical strength and conditioning shit. Like I had a really, I wanted to dive into the human behavior side because that was ultimately what I cared about the most and also what was going to make the biggest difference in my effectiveness as a coach. And I think that's a mistake that our field makes a lot is that it's, we focus so much on the technical aspect of our jobs and we think like, Oh, you know, we communicate all the time. I'm leading sessions and coaching all the time. I, that must mean I'm effective or like, I don't need to, you know, study this anymore or learn how to be a better communicator. When in reality, a lot of the times we aren't being as effective as, we need to be not because of the programs that we write, but because we are not being effective communicators. We're not, you know, we don't, we're not building those relationships so the best that we can. So yeah, it's, you got to have both, but I definitely on the side now more than ever that it's, it doesn't matter how much knowledge I have, if I can't convey that to my players and if I can't uh, build those relationships and get them to grow and kind of, again, take ownership for themselves. That's when you see the, the results and the performance really take off. And that really comes down to how well I connect with them. So if this is kind of a, a valley um, in, in, in your world academically, where did you, once you realize this, where did you look to try to fill in some of these gaps and, 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 and build a mountain there? The biggest thing for me is I'd sought out coaches. You know, I'd, I think coaches need coaches. And so I sought out people that were going to challenge me in that area. Um, you know, Brett Bartholomew is a great friend of mine and he, uh, you know, had started his own business, the art of coaching and has devoted his entire life's work to helping coaches coach better through, uh, actual like curriculum and actually through actual practice of these skills in, in real life. And, um, that was somebody I, I sought out. Um, you know, I, I joined other leadership development programs to really focus on that aspect. Um, and then it was like on my own, just reading into research and just reading about human behavior and just understanding people and why they do the things that they do and just understanding more about the populations that I was working with. Um, and just investing in myself as a leader and a coach um, outside of strength and conditioning. I didn't attend any more conferences. I didn't really focus on any of the technical aspects. It was really, you know, how can I become a better, and a lot of it came down to like, how can I grow as a person, be a better person, be a better, better leader for the people that I'm in charge of. Many firefighters see themselves as occupational athletes. Uh, if that's the case, could firefighters benefit from having a performance coach? 
I think so. Shoot. I mean, I know firefighters technically or typically are, you know, pretty well trained or enjoy training. They enjoy that physical aspect. I know, you know, every firehouse is usually equipped with, with training, but I think like we've talked about even just before we started the show is performance is such an all encompassing uh, word and performance. It's, you know, firefighting is your sport. Saving people's lives is, is your sport. And there's a physical component to it. There's a mental component to it. There's an emotional component to it. And, you know, optimizing those areas is huge in being able to do your job at a high level. So I think performance coach can be equivalent to life coach as well, too. Like it, it's just it all of these things transcend one another. And so I think having the skills, um, you know, having or being coached by somebody who can can help equip you with the skills to optimize your performance on the job, not even on the job, but outside of the job, too, because I know the the mental toll that your job has uh, on just life like a, I think that would be huge. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, so kind of, kind of dovetailing off this, what other people are on the staff uh, at South Carolina? What other kind of experts and other coaches are on the staff, uh, whether it's for the basketball team or whether it's for like the bigger athletic department uh, and, and to, to, to kind of prime you on this, are there dietitians, sports psychologists, uh, who else is involved with these athletes? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, you know, get to touch our athletes on a daily basis and, you know, the performance team as a whole really is composed of, you know, myself, our athletic trainer, you know, so we got sports performance, you got sports medicine, we've got uh, sports psychology or mental performance. So we have an entire staff devoted to that. We have, you know, sports nutrition. Uh, we have obviously like our, our orthopedic, our doctors, and, you know, that's, that also falls under sports medicine you know, we've got academics, we've got every, every aspect, um, you know, we've got a ton of people on our staff that are responsible for their development too. And so, you know, I get to collaborate with our dietitian on a daily basis, our athletic trainer. We do have a, a mental performance uh, specialist that works with our team uh, usually once a week in the off season and, but is also available on an individual level for consulting, you know, within that, that, uh, mental performance department, there's, you know, we've got licensed psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, uh, counselors, and then more of the actual sport performance realm, you know, helping them with, uh, or equipping them with skills to help navigate again, perform, whether it's like performance anxiety, for instance, or, um, just trying to navigate, you know, the challenges of, of being that high level type of athlete. So, we have something that kind of fills every bucket. Um, and so I work within a broader team of professionals to help make sure that we're not leaving any aspect of performance to chance. Um, and we're really helping them develop in all of those areas. So if you spend the most time with, with these athletes uh, relative to all the other people that we've just met, are there things that you've learned from these other disciplines or these other professionals that now you kind of... Um, utilize with these athletes as well? Um, are there any skills or, or drills that you utilize with these people that you've learned from other uh, disciplines? For sure. Yeah. You know, I think as a performance coach, you know, I like what I'm trained in is a little bit of everything in, in some of those areas. Obviously we each have our own scope of practice, but at various times throughout my career too, I've had to wear a lot of different hats. And, you know, in some instances, I'm also trying to serve as the, the dietitian or you know, the mental performance coach, because we didn't have those resources. So I've definitely learned things along the way. And, you know, there's areas within our roles that overlap. And so, um, you know, I'm always trying to, again, teach our athletes skills that are going to help them in every area. And so I think, you know, right now I, I let our dietitian do their thing. You know, our, my athletes will, will talk to me about nutrition, but then it's really like, okay, let's, let's talk with Jeremy and let's collaborate on this and I'll, whatever I'm getting told information wise from our players, I'm making sure I'm relaying that to the proper person. But, you know, uh, we chatted a little bit earlier about the, the mental side of things too. You know, I have an opportunity to uh, help them navigate that and equip them with skills. Uh, we do a lot of breath work and, and teaching them how to breathe. We, uh, you know, I think that's 
I mean, at the end of the day, the brain controls everything and giving the brain the proper inputs to help them uh, in the situation, whether that's decrease their heart rate, uh, get them focused in on the task at hand, um, getting to calm them down in times of anxiety or whatever it might be. And a big part of it too, is, you know, these kids now like are, are so overstimulated on a regular basis between screen time and like always having something to do or see or look at, like they have a really hard time relaxing. And so that's something that's really important to us. And we preach is the recovery part of it. And that starts with breath control. And so we'll end every session with typically with sort of small, just we're going to lay on the ground, lay or sit however you want to for a minute. And I'll teach them how to breathe. And that's how we'll finish the sent uh, or the session for the day. Um, I get to kind of introduce tools like meditation, uh, visualization, and you know some of those guided drills um, and exercises that they can do on their own. Um, and that's sometimes in a full team setting, and that's sometimes it's just within certain individuals that I know are struggling with something uh, specific or are interested in it or want to do it more. Um, and so, really trying to get them to shut down, shut off to be able to really focus. You know, I find that a lot of our players too have a hard time focusing for an extended period of time. Like there's just so much stimulation and so much going on inside their head. So being able to really control what their mind is doing. Um, and then in turn that affecting their body's recovery and being able to, um, again, kind of control where their head's at and control their body in the moment. And that is obviously beneficial on the court, but just outside, outside life as well. I really like when you said that it all starts with the brain. Um, and some of these things, and, and you touched on a lot here uh, in that last uh, couple paragraphs, but a couple of things that, that stood out to me and, and some of these things when I've heard before uh, I think are, are really important, but it's easy for people to, I think, kind of laugh at or kind of ignore. Um, some of these are like breathing, you know, like, yeah, we know how to breathe. Uh, I don't think we need to, to focus on that, but it's one of the few ways that we can control our nervous system. Um, visualization, I think is, is really important. And I'm glad that you, you talked about that and you guys utilize that. Um, so breathing, meditation, uh, what about like positive self-talk? Is that something that you guys talk about as well? Um, yeah, yeah. In a, in a sense, um, you know, I've, I did some reading, um, and this kind of this concept of this neutral thinking is almost more so what, what we kind of gear towards of like, when sometimes when you, uh, uh, don't get me wrong, I, the, the concept of, you know, the positive vibes only and positivity and all that, there's a lot to be said for that, but there's also a level of, you know, you've got to sometimes deal with, you got to deal with the bad shit and you got to deal with the bad feelings and the, uh, negative thoughts and all the negative, negative things that are happening and being able to process them in kind of a neutral state, as opposed to just trying to like cover it up with this positive mindset and not saying, and that, that might be taken the wrong way by some people and that's okay. But I think trying to come at it from, uh, that standpoint of like, we're not going to pretend that this doesn't suck or pretend that this isn't hard or pretend that this, you know, this negative moment feeling whatever doesn't exist and just try to be positive about it. Like, no, sometimes this shit's just hard and it sucks. And so like, let's just try to reframe it and kind of get through it. It's this one moment, this one thing, um, and just kind of name it for what it is and like not tie any specific emote, you know, emotion to it just like really trying to keep the things in perspective and just like one kind of one moment at a time uh mentality so i don't know if that answers your question but that's kind of the approach that i've taken and kind of adopted and again it's like it's not it's letting ourselves feel and experience everything without trying to numb it or just try to you know positive vibe only our way out of it so I'm of this, uh, almost like this mindfulness perspective, like I'm going to be in the moment. I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too low. Is that kind of the the crux of what you're saying here? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. along the way, but along the way, still allowing yourself to feel the high and allowing yourself to feel the low, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it does. Um, one time I, I heard another uh, 
she's a, she's a mental skills coach, I think is her title right now. And she was talking about trying to get somebody out of a slump and oftentimes, and she works in baseball and she was saying like the, the, the batter goes up there and he's only thinking like, don't strike out, don't strike out, don't fucking strike out. <laughs> and so now when she was, she would teach them to walk up there, like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get a hit. Like, where's, where's the green out there? Where can I find a, a spot where I'm going to hit? It? I'm going to hit it right there. I'm going to hit it right there. And so like beforehand, w- would this make sense? And I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now, like going into an event, would, would positive mental talk be beneficial? And then while you're in it, and then maybe afterwards, if it doesn't go the way you want it, or maybe even if it did, you kind of have this more neutral perspective on it. Would that be advantageous or am I, is my lot yeah. of thinking kind of out of whack here? No, I, I see what you're saying. And I think there's a place for that. I almost think of that like, and maybe it's just like we're, we're talking semantics here. Maybe that's where there's a little bit of disconnect. Like I think there's a place for that, that positive self-talk. Absolutely. And to me, that situation is almost like, okay, you're focusing on, you know, something external that is, uh, you know, just part, almost like part of like your habit, right? Like it's like we, especially at that level and in our level, or just in general, like we spent so much time on these habits and like these routines and like some things are just so come so natural for us. So like in that moment, it's focusing on, okay, you know, that external, find the green or whatever it might be, you know, something that's within our sight, within our control and focusing on that and just focusing on like, again, that almost to me seems like, okay, in that moment, I'm focusing on this. And obviously it's, that is a much different mindset than going up there being like, I fucking suck. I'm just going to strike out again or, or whatever it might be. So I think, um, I think we're on the same page and, and yeah. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's, it's more so that there you can take that positive uh approach far on the spectrum as well too but what you're saying what without a doubt 100 percent is uh one super effective and i think the the right approach yeah okay yeah and i i didn't mean to 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 try to de- describe like that we had a big schism between us i was just trying to oh, pull, no. pull on some threads to make sure i was thinking appropriately um yeah i'm with you with routines, like what are some things that you guys talk about when it comes to routines? Say someone's going up for a free throw or or whatever. Like what other routines do you talk about and what are the benefits of having this this routine? Yeah. Um, you know, I always I try to find that out from our athletes too. Like, you know, some of them have their their rituals and and what those are. And then we find ways to how can we incorporate those things uh, in moments of distress too. And I think, you know, free throw is a perfect example of like, okay, this is something like that allows you to be present in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that really helps from a focus standpoint and just like taking the emotion or the anxiety out of it. It's like, no, this is, this is your ritual. It's kind of like your comfort zone in a sense. And it keeps you present in that moment. And, um, again, it's that, that repetition that just, it becomes, what you do and it's that you know helps get you into that flow state it just is i think a really valuable tool and so it's kind of asking you know at first asking our players if they have any of those rituals or routines or what they do and just observing you know i'll watch them at practice and watch what they do um and i can tell you you know what each of our players does like their movement like all of it um and then i always like to just ask them about it you know, before I even try to help them with these things that I always ask, like, Hey, like, why, why'd you start doing that? Or like, what do you, what do you feel when you do that? Or what do you feel like it helps you with and kind of get their feedback on it? Um, and then, the, you know, if they, they kind of have their thing, like, how can we, how can we refine that? But then how can we also relate that to other areas as well, too, where that can come in useful. And then the ones that don't have any, like trying to help, um, you know, finding moments where you can kind of inject some of that or like help them discover those things for themselves. Or if you find that they're struggling with, um, anxiety at the say anxiety at the free throw line, right? Like what is something that they can focus on externally to keep them present, uh, get their breath back under them and, you know, help ease that tension or ease that anxiety in that moment. Like it's just kind of finding those gaps 
not necessarily creating them if they don't need to be created, but it's like, where, where can you, if you're observing and kind of checking things out, you can find those moments of like, okay, this is a great opportunity to help them develop this uh, right now. Um, all right. This is, this is super fascinating to me and I could talk for, for probably another couple of hours. Um, but for, for, uh, your time and, and, uh, I want to be respectful of that. Let's maybe start landing this plane. Um, so broad brush strokes here, but what are some things that, that most coaches do well? Like what are coaches getting right right now? Yeah. You know, I'd say across the board, coach, Coaches do a great job there. You know, we're experts, right? So of, of honing their craft and their expertise. And I think uh, in general, you know, coaching is such a broad term too. But in general, it's impacting other people. And when I say impact, you have either it's negative or it's positive. It can be, it can be one or the other, it can be both. But I think as a whole, coaches do a great job of making sure that they are honing in on their expertise and delivering it in a way that is digestible and impactful to the people that they're in charge of or that they lead. And, you know, that's across all disciplines. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are on the other end of the spectrum, what are some things that, that coaches could be doing better? I know this is super, super broad. Just talk about all coaches right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to place my judgment on all coaches here. So no, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier. I think that um, we can do a better job of honing in our, our coaching and communication skills. You know, I think on the, you know, the one side, the one thing we do really well is making sure that we are experts in our field of what, you know, whatever coaching role that we have. Um, in terms of like the technical and the tactical and um, the science, whatever it is, whatever knowledge we need to do our jobs well, but we don't always invest in ourselves as better communicators, better leaders, you know, all the things that we were talking about before of just like, how can we build better relationships, connect with people better, understand humans humans better better. to make better decisions and to lead them better. Because ultimately, I mean, that's why you've got you've got CEOs, you've got leaders of big companies that people hate and that people don't want to work for and that don't know how to lead their people. And they end up, you know, not being successful. And then you hear the stories of ones that know how to do, you know, their job really well and have wildly successful companies that people love to work for. And it always comes down to the type of environment and experience that they create for the people that they coach or that they lead. And that doesn't happen by accident. Uh, you hear a lot about people, you know, answer the question of, oh, what makes a good leader? And a lot of people will say things like, oh, they're charismatic or whatever it is. Like, that's a bunch of bullshit. Like that doesn't, at the end of the day, like that is not what is going to lead people. And that's not what people gravitate towards to really like want to better themselves and do well for the company. So I think as a whole, we got to understand people. We got to understand how to make, you know, people are driven by emotion and how they feel and if they feel valued and if they feel like they're a part of something and like their input is received and all these things. So that comes down to how we communicate with them. Um, And that's something that I've learned. I think, you know, I plugged him earlier, but I'm going to keep plugging him because he's, um, he's just incredible. Brett, Brett Bartholomew, that is, you know, what he's been trying to, to teach us as, as coaches and, uh, I just think that's so important and an area that, you know, if any, any coach or CEO or leader of any organization, you know, captain, you know, whatever it is, like, you've got to, you got to know how to lead people. And we don't always uh, do a great job of that, or we think we're better at it than we truly are. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. That was a, that was a beautiful answer. And then lastly, a couple of quick questions here. And this, these don't need to pertain to sport or coaching or leadership or anything. It could be whatever you want. So the, the table is wide open right now, but what's the best book you've ever read? Do I have to name just one because nope. it's, <laughs> nope. right. you can name five if you want. Oh man. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I love, I love reading. So this list could be extensive, but uh, I think a few just like tried and true ones that I always come back to um, one is the alchemist. Um, second one, man's search for meaning. 
um, you know, anything for me. And I love anything by like Brene Brown. Um, uh, shoot. Of course I'll draw a blank now as I, as I'm being put on the spot, but, um, yeah, there, there's, I love to read. I really love to read things like outside the realm of, uh, you know, what I do and kind of, I've been forcing myself to read, you know, and, uh, in areas of, you know, more, more lateral connections to what I do. So, um, but I'm going to start, I'll stop with those ones right there. Cause one, I'm drawing a blank and I think there's just too many. Oh, those are beautiful. I, uh, I've never read anything by Brene Brown. Uh, and I've heard her name a hundred times. I've seen some of her uh, Netflix specials or whatever. Um, but I should probably pick up one of her books. Anytime someone's name gets mentioned multiple times, it's kind of a big clue for me to be like, all right, get off your button and, uh, and pick something up by them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. She, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, she, I think, you know, sometimes is it's, she just touches on, on subjects that are really hard for people to, uh, talk about and, and kind of admit that they need to talk about or learn about and just the realms of, you know, all those, the, just the vulnerability and the courage and shame, yeah. fear, fear, all of that. And just stuff that we all struggle with, but, you know, sometimes our ego doesn't let us, you know, admit that, um, you know, we need to either learn more about it or let ourselves kind of feel those things. So I, I love her work. I think she's brilliant and she continues to, to research those areas so extensively that it, to me, it's, it's fascinating. Well said. Um, all right. Similar, but different, but what podcast do we need to be listening to? And again, doesn't need to be about anything we talked about today. Yeah. Um, you know, the few, I would say like the handful that are, that continue to show up on my most popular are uh, armchair expert with Dex Shepard. I think he's just, uh, I think he's hilarious, but he's also just such a great facilitator and he has su such a wide range of people on his show that it's just like, you, you are always learning something new. Um, the Huberman lab yeah. podcast, Dr. Dr. Andrew Huberman. I mean, you know, we talk about optimizing performance, like he's, you know, he's got such interesting stuff on there that is, again, transcends just every profession, every aspect of just being a human and, you know, living healthy and performing well at whatever it is. Um, that's been really, really fascinating to dig into. And most of the time it's way over my head, but I enjoy listening to it. Um, you know, Brene's podcast, um, unlocking us. That's a, that's a huge one for me. Um, the art of coaching, which, you know, I mentioned Brett earlier, that's his podcast, you know, same thing. He brings people on from every realm and every profession and talks about a lot of the things that we did today. Um, what else? Yeah, that's, those are kind of the mainstays. Those are beautiful. I, uh, I didn't even know Dex. Shepard had a, had a podcast, so I need to check oh, that one great. out. Oh, it's great. It's really good. That's a good one. Uh, I'm familiar with a couple of the other ones, but uh, I got some homework to do, so I appreciate that. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if our guests get anything out of those last couple of questions, but but those are some of my favorites every time to figure out what I should be listening to and, and what I should be reading. Um, oh, yeah. But I just want to say thank you one more time, Molly. Um, I really appreciate your time, your perspective, and your expertise, and hopefully uh, our listeners got something out of this as well. No, I appreciate you. This was a lot of fun. This might be one of the most fun uh, podcasts I've ever been on. So I appreciate it. And, you know, like you said, we have more in common than we think we do sometimes with, you know, people in other lines of work, but, you know, any chance you get to, to talk with others and, and learn from them is time well spent in my opinion. So I appreciate your time and giving me a platform to, you know, talk about things that I love to do. Well, absolutely. Uh, we we are definitely benefited from this, and I think that's a perfect stop to to stop this.